the Gospel of Luke 16, 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Would you please pray with me? Our Lord, we, we thank you for your word and that it is true. It is something we can depend on every day. Thank you for the gift of Jesus and the teachings he gives us. We ask you to anoint our pastor, Kyle, this morning as he speaks and may his words pierce our heart and stir us to walk closer to you. And Lord, we also pray for this country. Grant us peace at this time. Cause us to be prudent in our actions and not fearful. Protect us from all sickness and heal those who have fallen ill. Lord, we ask you to boldly use this time for the people of our country to humble themselves before you, that they may turn to you. We pray for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have a life story. The contours of our life, what what would help people understand who we are. Uh, But our life is, is really bigger than the story we think about. Who is in our family? What is our job? What do we like to do? What we would typically think about. This is my life. For you to know me, this is what you should know. Things that are important, that are true. But there is, for each of us, a much bigger story that describes our life. And in the passage that was read to us today, uh, Jesus wants to open our eyes to that 
bigger story. Not to diminish what is true of us in the moment, but that we would recognize the moment isn't the whole story. And so Jesus gives a parable. And he describes two very different lives. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The rich man and the poor man. First, we're told about this rich man who lived with advantage and wealth. Verse 20 describes the poor man being at his gate. So his home was a large estate. It describes how he was dressed. uh, Very expensive clothes that were imported from other nations. The color purple was the color uh, that signified royalty. And then each day, he doesn't just eat, he feasts. It specifically says he ate sumptuously. Many years ago, uh, it was Debbie's first big cooking contest prize. And part of that prize was we had dinner for free, that was the important part, at Lebec Finn in Philadelphia which at that time was considered one of the great restaurants in the entire world. Uh, The menu uh, is all in French. The room was elegant and beautiful. Uh, The food was in that category of sumptuous. When your food was served, no matter how many people were at the table, waiters would all at one time lift the cloche up, you know, presenting the food. It was this wonderful experience. Uh, that was how this man lived. That was, that was just dinner. Thank, Thanksgiving dinner every day. But on the outer edges of this picture, if, if you paid close attention, there was another man. A wretch of a man. He was impoverished. He had nothing to eat. He was laid at the gate. Uh, The phrase to be uh, laid down, that word there, when it's used in the Gospels a number of other times, it's always referring to someone who is lame and crippled. So he is poor. He is without food. He is crippled and he is placed there hoping that some of the rich people going back and forth might give him a crust of bread or a worn coin. His body is covered with ulcerated sores. No one wants to pay attention to him. No one wants to engage with him. It says even the dogs licked at his wounds. In that culture, dogs were not these friendly domestic animals that people loved. Dogs represented 
uh, a scene of disgust. If you've been in a third world country where mangy dogs roam around, uh, that was the view of what a dog was. It was a scavenger. They were viewed with disgust. And so this, after describing the man, it kind of sums it up. Even the disgusting dogs licked at his wounds. Jesus is creating theater for us. He wants us to get caught up in this story so that we would feel something. But this picture he vividly paints for us is not the full story about those men. It's not even the biggest story about their lives. Perhaps you can relate a little bit to the comparison that Jesus makes between these men. Perhaps for you, life's been one sorrow and loss after another. And you look at others and it seems like their life is just ongoing happiness. Or your life has been marred by dysfunction and abuse. And you look at other people's lives and their homes are always peaceful. Or your life feels small and limited. And you see people's lives seem so big and their lives seem important. Or maybe to you, life's just been unfair. And then you look at other people and they get every advantage, every break. Jesus' story speaks to all of those situations and scenarios that perhaps you find yourself in. And so Jesus wants to speak to all of us. Because in this vast difference of these lives, suddenly there's a reversal. And the difference after the reversal is even more dramatic than the differences before. As far apart as their lives seemed, when the reversal happens, the difference is not far, it's infinite. For the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, which means death, he was being in torment. He lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and, and Lazarus at his side. Lazarus dies, this pitiful man. Who no one wanted to touch, no one cared about. Who added nothing to society, society felt. That man, at the moment of death, is met by the messengers of God. Who gather him and personally bring him 
to the heavenly places. They bring him, it says, to Abraham's side. Abraham was the beginning of God's covenant people. The people to whom God promises, I will be your God and you will be my people. Abraham is is known as the father of those who come to the Lord by faith. And so Abraham represents the covenant people who have believed the word of God. And he has a, a kingdom and a home So the pictures of Lazarus is going to join in with the covenant people of God. And the language of being at Abraham's side. It is the same picture that we've seen numbers of times in Luke. When we've seen the phrase, Jesus is at someone's house that says they were reclined at table. And we've seen that phrase... uh, typically refer to being at a feast where there would be a a low table on the ground and everyone is is lying on their side among the pillows, their, their head toward the table, their feet away. And in this setting, they're feasting together. And so you're lying by the side of the person next to you. And so when it says he is by Abraham's side, it is telling us that Lazarus is now finally at the feast. He is no longer an outsider. He is there with the people of God enjoying the goodness of the kingdom And the presence of the Father. It is a very different life from all he had experienced beforehand. But life doesn't just change for Lazarus. The rich man also dies. Notice the language that Jesus uses. The poor man died and was carried by angels to heaven. The rich man died and was buried. Now, both men were buried. Lazarus' body was buried after he died, but the emphasis of the story is not that. That, That's a small part. That doesn't picture accurately what happened to him. His body was buried, but he, Lazarus, wasn't buried. He was with his father in the kingdom. That's the real story. And so for each of you who have been at those burial places that felt so final and so separate, Because of God and his grace and because of Christ, for all who have trusted in him, that place, that time, that is not the story. The rich man, for him the grave was the story and, and more than that. For in the grave... There is torment. 
In verse 25, it speaks of his anguish. In verse 23, of his torment. Verse 24, again, he speaks of his anguish in the flames. The picture there is of the valley of Hinnon, which was a ravine outside the city of Jerusalem that at one point had been a place where one of the pagan gods was worshipped by an evil king of Israel where they actually would sacrifice children. And later a godly king came and tore all of that down and turned it into the city trash heap. And that's where the garbage was taken and it continually burned. That's the only way they could get rid of the accumulation of the garbage taken decade after decade. So it it smoldered and burned continually. And that's the picture that Scripture repeatedly uses of what life is like for those who have not heeded the truths of God and have not submitted to Him. We, we don't know exactly what hell will be like, but every picture that's given us is one of eternal anguish and sorrow. Death brings every one of us to the full story. The big story of your life. We come to that story through death. Now we need to be careful with this parable Jesus gives that describes something of the full story for these two men. Uh, Some dig in too much to the dialogue part of the rich man being able to see Lazarus and the communication from Abraham too and that that's what it's going to be like in heaven that we can see and and somehow communicate. That's not the purpose of this parable. And there's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that to us. Indeed, what Scripture speaks of, of quality of life in our hearts, that we're not going to be watching the sorrow of those that are condemned. The, The point here is what happens in life and why. And so we shouldn't be distracted. The full story we are meant to see, the full story is eternal and the full story is unchangeable. Verse 26, besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed. in order that those who would pass from here and and you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. Once we enter death, the full story becomes the final story. As Phil Riken says, hell has no exit. And, And there is 
absolutely no biblical justification for purgatory. Just zero biblical evidence. It's a completely manufactured and made up myth. Each of these men have a season of desiring what the other one had. In this world, Lazarus is longing. He doesn't even know what's at the table. He can't see what's at the table. He just knows they're eating well. And it says he, he desired just some scrap. Just give me something left over. And then, the rich man who gave no thought of what Lazarus desired. He has his season of longing as he, he sees Lazarus in the kingdom. And he longs that his suffering would end. One season was very real for the poor man. What he went through was difficult. It was real. It was hard. But it was over. And God was present in it. And God had purpose in it. For the rich man who enjoyed the things that God made in this world were meant to be enjoyed, but they were enjoyed in selfishness with no concern for others except the other wealthy friends. And when he entered his season of desiring, it was a desire to be out of what you cannot escape. For what he desired to be out of was justice. The poor man desired for justice. That he would be fed, that he would be treated properly. The rich man desires to escape justice. And that won't happen. Because justice will come. God will have his way in the world. Which season of desiring do you want? Is your soul caught up in the desiring of what you see? And I I want to have that. Does your soul get so caught up in what you want here that you neglect what is most important and the danger is that you give no attention to God and you will be left with a season of eternal desiring to be free of the justice of God that will fall upon everyone who doesn't believe. What made the difference in how their stories were lived out? At first I said, what made the difference between how their stories ended? But the stories really didn't end. The stories continue. The difference was not their works. It was not that Lazarus was a man who did a lot of good things and the rich man was a man who did a lot of bad things. Now, it's important what we do. 
But the difference was not what one earned and what one didn't earn. The difference wasn't karma. Some vague universal force that eventually evens everything out. Amazing how people who don't believe in God still want some kind of force, spiritual, something that creates justice. We just don't want accountability. So just keep a personal God out, then we don't have to worry about accountability. But we still want something out there that is beyond us that can do something good for us. It was none of this. What made the difference was how they responded to God. And we see it in the exchange between the rich man and Abraham. And that's why that conversation is given to us. So we get a picture of, well, why are these men in the place they are? In verse 29, Abraham tells the rich man, your brothers who you're concerned for now, he says, they have Moses and the prophets, meaning they have the scriptures. They have the word of God. Let them hear the scriptures. If you want hope for them, let them hear the word of God and respond to it. The implication clearly is these men hadn't responded to the word of God. It's it's there. It's being preached. It can be read. It can be heard. And they've ignored it. In verse 30, he says, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And now we get to the heart of it. What was missing? What did these men need to escape what the rich man was in? Repentance. And repentance isn't just feeling bad about what you've done. It's not consequences and now you you wish you didn't have them. It's not just regret. Repentance is the turning of a heart and life in a different direction. So to repent is to recognize the sin in our life and not just be sorry that our sin has brought problems to us. It's to acknowledge, Lord, there is a different way. Would you forgive me? Would you change my heart? Would you give me new life? Your response to Christ is the hinge of your eternity. In John chapter 3 verse 36, we read this. Whoever, so this is all inclusive. This is a statement for everyone in the world. Whoever believes in the Son in Christ has eternal life. But whoever does not, now this is a key word, obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We, we see first that Jesus is the difference. How you respond to Jesus, either eternal life or the wrath of God. 
And the response to Jesus is to believe upon him. But we see the belief is not just, oh, okay, I believe in Jesus. You want me to pray something? I believe in Jesus and I prayed to him. Biblical belief is lived out. If we believe he is the Christ, God's answer to us, the one who came to save us by dying on the cross and paying for our sins, he is God's salvation and he is also God in flesh, the Lord God whom we are meant to serve and obey and live for. To turn our hearts to him is to recognize he is the Savior and he is Lord. He is both. He is not just one or the other. He is all of it. And to believe in him is to believe in him fully. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Biblical belief, faith, is belief lived out. We, we live by what we believe. And that's seen in what we do. What we do doesn't save us. What we do gives evidence of where our heart really is. Our hearts are not changed by what people generally think will change our hearts. Verse 31, Abraham said, if they don't hear the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced if someone should be raised from the dead. People think, if God would do this, oh, I'd believe. If God would do this, then I'd follow him. But that's not what changes hearts, to see something impressive. And we see this in a way in this story that Jesus may have anticipated We have this, this man, Lazarus, in the parable. It's the only time in Jesus' parables that one of the characters in the parable is given a name. The only time. And the name given to this man is Lazarus. And about him, it says, even if he came out of the grave... And talk to others. It wouldn't convince them. Now now doesn't that remind you of something? For later on in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 11. He has a friend named Lazarus. And in verse 17 it says. Lazarus had died and he was in the grave. The tomb for four days. And Jesus, verse 43, comes to the grave and cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out bound with the bandages and they cleared him off and he lived. How would people respond to this amazing miracle? Has there ever been a greater miracle that someone would see? A man dead for days coming out of the grave? Verse 47, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered and said, what are we to do? 
For this man, Jesus, performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. They're going to follow after him and that's going to make trouble for us. And so what did they decide, verse 53? So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. What do we do with someone who raises the dead? If it's inconvenient. Maybe we kill them. But that's not all. In the next chapter, 12, verse 9, crowds are gathered. They want to see Lazarus. They've heard the story. They want to see for themselves. So as crowds came to see Jesus and also Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death too. They're going to kill them both. We're going to kill Jesus who raises the dead, and we're going to kill the guy who was raised. That's how a heart responds. A selfish heart, unchanged by God, is unmoved by the works of God. What must happen is God must do a work in our heart. He must change us. Hearts are changed not by our works, but by the work of God for us. He sent his son to die and raised him from the dead. And we're saved by the work of God in us. The Spirit comes and gives us a new birth and changes our heart and our desires. And we believe upon the one who saves. For in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, we read the gospel. The good news of what Christ has done in his death and resurrection. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What Christ has done is the power of the Almighty God to save anyone who believes. To save you if you would believe. To cover whatever sin you've had. To cleanse you. To give you a new heart. So all the concerns, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to believe. The power of God gives you the belief. I don't think I could live the Christian life. Right, God gives you the power to be different. He gives you different heart and what you want. He enables you. It's all what God does. And that's why anyone can be saved and live a godly life. Because it's what the Spirit of God does. The people around you cannot see into the life to come. 
they cannot see those who have died in Jesus. But they can see the reality and power of the gospel and of Christ in you. They can see the effects of the Holy Spirit in you. They can see marriages that honor God and persevere. They can see families that withstand the pressures of the surrounding culture and stay faithful to God. They can see that when you grieve, it's with hope. They can see that you endure pain, but it's with joy. They can see that when the world is frightening, you're faithful. People can see the power of God in us. And they experience it when we love the unlovable. People see it when we love them. When they throw their worst selfishness and arrogance and hatefulness and their painful words trying to hurt us, trying to offend. And then when we see that instead of doing what they would do if someone treated them that way, that we respond with love and grace. And they get a taste for what the power of God is. What do we take from this? First, to think wisely about today. It's very real and it's very temporary. What we do now will fade, but the fruit it produces will last forever. The fruit of suffering or the fruit of God and the kingdom. All that we do will pass, but the effects of it will not. Think wisely about today and think wisely about the future. It's coming And it's big. Right now is the only time you have to prepare for eternity. You have a bigger story. And this is the time to prepare for the big story, the full story, the final story. The greatest of all realities is that every one of us will face God. There's nothing more real than that. There's nothing bigger than that. Every one of us will face God. And how are we prepared for that? The only way is through God who came to make us ready. Jesus who makes us ready to anticipate rather than fear. To rejoice and look toward rather than worry over. And lastly, I would say this. 
Jesus wants his people to know that he knows you. Thinking back to the fact that the only character he names in all of his parables is this pitiful wretch of a man. Impoverished, starving, crippled, no one cares. The dog's licking his wounds. But to God, he had a name. He was known and loved. And God was there immediately to bring him to himself. God knows those who are suffering and those who are struggling. God knows you. Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you asking that you would bring clarity to every heart and mind about the big story of life, about the final story of life, about you, what does that mean, about what is ahead. If these are true, we want to see them, help people to be willing to think about things perhaps they haven't, whether it seemed like a fairy tale or it seems far off. In your grace, give everyone here eyes to see. And as they see the truth of the future, may they see how wondrous Christ is who has died to save them. That each of us would respond, and those of us who have, that we would live like it.